Well, let's pray together as we look at this psalm. Heavenly Father, we praise you, the Lord who is the great God, the great King above all gods. We praise you whose hands held the depths of the earth and who fashions the mountain peaks and makes the sea. We praise you who we barely know and we know some things about. And we pray that this morning you'll enable us to more fully praise you as you indeed are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've um, been having an interesting time over the last few uh, weeks trying to get my head into the book of Job, which is the sermon series we're about to embark on on Sunday mornings here at church. And if you know the story of Job, you'll know it's a harrowing tale. It's, it had me in tears yesterday as I was preparing because I was watching a televised version of a, a John Piper poem about the book of Job. And in the poem, he tells Job's story entirely from his earthly perspective, without the knowledge that we get ourselves in the book of Job of a divine conflict going on. Do you know the story of Job? It begins with a man who's described as upright and blameless, a good upstanding chap, someone you could depend on, someone you could lean on, and a very rich man. He had 11,000 people who worked for him, a great successful businessman from the time almost before the Bible was written, a contemporary of the likes of someone like Abraham, way, way back. And Job becomes the object of a divine debate between God and the Satan character, the accuser. And the accuser comes into God's kingdom, into his rule, into his heavenly place, and says, look at the people you made. They're not much good, are they? <laughs> it's a bit like turning up at a school gate and saying, you see your child? <laughs> She's not doing very well. And it gets up God's goat, if God's allowed to have a goat to get up. And he, he says, well, actually... You know, many of them do let me down, fair cool, but have you considered Job, my servant? He fears me. And, and we're told in the beginning of Job that every day Job will, will go and, uh, and he will take care of his relationship with God and weekly he'll make a sacrifice so that his children are okay with God. He's put everything in place to be right with God. And the story carries on uh, and the Satan, the accuser, says to God, well, is it for nothing that he praises you? Is it for nothing that he praises you? Everything he needed has just been put on a plate for him. <laughs> he's got riches, he's got his health, he's got a family. Why shouldn't he praise you? You've made it easy for him to praise you. What if he took it away? Could he still praise you? And so we get the theme of the book of Job. It's not really uh, an analysis of whether God is good or not. It's an analysis of whether humans, people like you or me, can be good or not. <laughs> what would we do if the tables were turned on us and the things that we rely on, our health, our provision, our support networks, our nurturing relationships, what would we do if some of those were taken away from us? And the story unfolds, and we'll, we'll do it over a nine-week series in church, so you can hear it in much more detail emerging in the nuances of what's going on. 
But it ends up with Job having gone through excruciating, horrific circumstances, including boils, warts on his body, and seeing the devastation of his family and his property, and his wife telling him to just curse God and die, even the person closest to him just saying, give up. You've got nothing going for you. Give up. It turns out with Job saying, if only I could put God on trial. If only I could put him on trial and find out what's going wrong. Or at least if I'm on trial as defendant, if only God would show up as prosecutor and tell me what I've done wrong to deserve this situation. If only he would not be quiet. If only he'd put it on a plate and tell me this is why it's gone like this. And then Job hinges on just the last four chapters. And Job gets what many of us want in our lives and never quite get a chance to experience. Through the midst of that agony and the year of utter pain, a sense of separation and devastation and desolation from this God who he's faithfully served, Job has an extraordinary encounter with God. And the encounter comes in the form of God saying, get up, Job. Stand up, brace yourself like a, a human that you are. You're not just a worm on the ground. Stand up. But now I'm going to question you and you'll answer me. Where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth, Job? Where were you when I put the starry constellations into space, Job? Where were you when the dinosaurs roamed and Leviathan in the, in the deep were going around? Have you ever given orders to the morning or set the dawn in place? Do you know the Arctic slopes? Do you know the depths of the ocean? Do you know any of these things, Job? Can you control the mighty horse? Can you control a rhinoceros? Do you provide food for the young? Do you know how everything was made? And Job gets to the end of this extraordinary speech from God, which goes on for the best part of three and a half chapters. And he says, woe is me, because faced against you, I'm of utter insignificance and nothing. Face against your creation, you great king above all gods, whose hands have the depths of the earth, whose mountain peaks belong to you, who made the sea, who formed the dry land. Against that, how can I still speak? And then in this film version of Job that I was watching, it pans on a few years later, six years later. And Job is there with his young daughter who's been born to him through his same wife who told him to give up and die. And God's begun to restore to Job more than he had even before the devastation. And the girl says to him, tell me a story, Papa. Tell me about the time when you were sick. Why did it happen to you? Did you do something wrong? Did you do something bad? And he says, sweetheart, there are things that you can't understand. And she says, well, was God bad to you? Was God mean to you? God's not bad or mean. Is he, is he daddy? He's good. 
And he says to her, honey, I know that you would like, as many do, to think that God is good and that they, there is an enemy there who's bad and out to get you. And that's true. But your little mind can't understand the depths of everything that's going on. Your mighty God is bigger and surpasses your understanding in ways you can't possibly fathom. Right now, my little girl, let me teach you something. Something that I've learned. And Job in this film takes his little girl and he does this. He says, kneel down with me, sweetheart, kneel down. And then he bows down before the Lord, low as Middle Eastern people have done for millennia. And shows her how to make himself nothing before the God who relative to God, he is nothing. And somewhere in the bowing down and worshipping, he knows that his God is God and that he is one of the people of his pasture one of the flock under his care. He doesn't pretend that he understands God or his ways. But he knows that his God is good and that he will one day understand those ways. The psalmist in Psalm 95 says these words, Come, let us sing to the, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. It's just possible that in your life, in each of our lives, we go through things not unlike Job's, maybe not as severe, but for us they may be equally devastating. It just takes the rug out from our feet. And we may want to know why. We may want to grill God. We may want to question him. We may even want to die. But the psalmist brings us back to the same revelation that Job had. If God really is God, not just the God of our imagination, not just a God who is a crutch to lean on that we can pick up and put down, but a God who is so immense that our minds can't even begin to fathom who he is and what purposes he may be working out through time and space that we have no inclination of, and yet we're a precious part of that story. If God is that big, if God is that strong, if God is that mighty, if God is that all-knowing and eternal, then the silly adage that is often repeated by those who want to fight against God doesn't add up anymore, does it? The adage is that how can God be 
utterly strong, (laughs) utterly loving, and still allow for suffering. But that's not the whole equation. Because God is also out of time. And those things that we can't possibly know. That dear man Job went through utter torment. Utter torment. That no one would ever wish on anyone else. But did his story of perseverance and endurance encourage you today? (laughs) Three and a half millennia later. If it did encourage you even a little, although it may have provoked difficult questions as well, you won't be the first. You won't even be the one millionth. (laughs) Tens, hundreds of millions of people have been inspired by his life and story and enabled to carry on in ways that he could never have conceived. (laughs) And maybe don't even justify his suffering in and of itself but yet are still worked by God for an incredible purpose. An incredible purpose. My favorite image at the moment of how God works in us comes from St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a Greek word. Poema. Poema. You can guess the translation. It's a fairly obvious one. It's poem. We are God's poem. But another way of looking at that word is that we're his workmanship. And one of the ideas behind that is of a tapestry. And I know I've shared this image before. But if you into tapestries as my mother is, uh, you'll know that one side looks glorious, doesn't it? And the other side is just these bizarre array of odds and ends of wool weaved through a funny grid. Faith in Jesus, resurrected, redeemer, saviour of the world, enables this to happen. It enables you to turn the tapestry over. Maybe today all you can see is a thread. You think, what's the thread of my life for? It doesn't have a point, it doesn't have a purpose. It's rubbish. I'm rubbish. I hear people say that all the time, even when they don't verbalize it. (laughs) There's no point to me anymore. And yet faith flips the tapestry over. And you realize the stitch that is you. Woven into the glorious tapestry of God's great poema. Is a beautiful, beautiful masterpiece. A stunning piece of art. A phenomenal result. And as you look at what he has made in his people gathered together, maybe just again you might say, well, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout to the rock of our salvation. Let me choose to praise him and extol him with music and song. Why? Because he is great. He's a great king. He makes things well and glorious and beautiful. And I'm nothing, I'm tiny, I'm minuscule. And yet his sovereign hands are working even my life into a stunning and glorious purpose that has meaning that will last for eternity 
and meaning far beyond the capacity of my philosophical brain to know. I'm part of a great God who goes on forever and makes great purposes out of utter rubbish. A God who makes purposes even out of me. Let's pray together. Father, you make everything good. You make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things out of dust. We are but dust. And yet in our lives you make a masterpiece, a poem, a tapestry. You deserve all praise. Pray that today you'll enable us to praise you as we should. Even in the midst of sorrow and pain, would you lift our eyes as you lifted Job's eyes too? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.